I want us to go back to science class, all right? So I know for some that's not too long ago, for others that's been a few decades. So think back to science class, think back to, I think physics, who knows anymore. But anyway, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Newton's laws of motion, all right? Some of you probably know this right offhand, some of you are like, I forgot about this one. But, uh, but I'm going to kind of look at Newton's laws of, of motion because the first law of motion Newton has is an object in motion tends to stay in motion unless an external force acts upon it. And then kind of a side piece to this, if an object is at rest, it will remain at rest unless acted upon by an external force. Now he talks about this in the second law of motion when Newton says when a force acts on an object, right, it will cause the object to accelerate. So if we have an object and it's stationary and it's not moving anywhere, if a force comes and hits that object, it will make that object begin to move. Now Newton was proving the law of motion, and he didn't know this at the time, he was also proving the movement of the church. I'll explain that in a second. As we continue our series called The Church is Blank, right? Now, what is in that blank? Well, I said at the very beginning of the series, if you haven't been with us, if you've forgotten over the past the last few days, that, the, that this series really is focused on people, that, that the church is people. It's, it's about us. It's about people outside of our walls. The church is about people. But because we're a part of the church, the church is broken. And so on that first Sunday, we talked about how the church is broken, but Thankfully, God loves us enough to send Jesus, and Jesus loves the church in such incredible ways that even in our brokenness, there's hope. And then last week, we talked about how the church is bold, that the church is supposed to be bold in actions and in words and in our faith. But today, we're going to put in that blank the word moving. We're going to talk about how the church is moving, that there had to be this outside force that, that caused this motion to, to, to see the church spread and to have more and more people come to follow Jesus. But where does this all begin? Well, we go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We've read this every single week, kind of our theme verse here, because here's what Jesus says as he's heading back into heaven. He says, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When the church begins, it's focused in Jerusalem. That's where everything's happening. And, uh, and, and honestly, it's, it's growing, but it's really stagnant. It's not moving too much outside of, of the walls of Jerusalem. It's, it's insulated, if, if you will. And it's partly because they don't grasp what Jesus is asking them to do. They, they don't grasp the, the plan that Jesus has for them. That, that vision didn't click. And so they're really just sort of this object there in Jerusalem. Now, again, great things are happening, but there's no movement there. Well, we're talking about Newton's law of motion. That force comes in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Again, a passage we've read in this series. It says, A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, this persecution came, and again, we've talked about this in the series, came from the religious leaders. They were losing control. They were losing their power. And so they said, we've got to do something about this. These people are following Jesus. I think I said last week, probably about 13%, 14% of the people in Jerusalem were, were now following Jesus. And, and this was causing some, some issues. 
And so the religious leaders, they say, we, we've got to deal with this. And they begin to find these followers of Jesus and pull them out of their homes and pull them out of their businesses. And they're putting them in prison. They're torturing some of them. They're, they're even putting some to death. And so it's this moment where this force comes to this church in Jerusalem where it begins to have to scatter. And the people are running because they're in fear. They're, they're fearful for their lives. They're running for their lives. But the scattering of the church then begins. And what Jesus had called for there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 was starting, that the, the spread of his story was beginning to spread to all these different places. And, and we get a glimpse of what this looked like through one particular guy here in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. It says, But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Uh, Philip, we, we hear a little bit about him a couple of chapters back. There's a food distribution issue within the church and some misorganization. And so he, he jumps in with this group of seven. They're, they're chosen to lead through this and they're able to do that. But, but then we meet him again here and, and we find that he is going out and he's beyond where he was really supposed to be he, he's not there in jerusalem anymore he's not in this region around jerusalem he's just north of there he's in samaria and he's telling people about jesus but then he has this pretty incredible encounter with this one particular guy in verse 26 of acts 8 it says as for philip an angel of the lord said to him go south down the desert road that runs from jerusalem to gaza again because of the persecution people are scattering here's philip the Holy Spirit comes to him. He's like, I just want you to go down this road. No reason given, no purpose. Like, I just want you to take this really, really long walk, Philip, and, and something will happen on this road. And it does. Look at verse 27. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake, the, the queen of Ethiopia. That was a, a title for the queen. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. So Philip starts heading down this road, starts walking, and he meets a traveler. Um, in, in Sunday school lore, we call this person the Ethiopian eunuch, and we kind of focus on the eunuch part. But what we really miss is this is a high-level official in the court of the queen of Ethiopia. His job is he's this royal treasurer. He's, he's in charge of the queen's money. So this is a VIP. Now, now, the interesting piece here is that he's been in Jerusalem and he's coming back from worshiping God. He's not Jewish. He's not from Jerusalem. And, and so it's like, what is he doing there? Well, at some point in time in his life, someone has told him about God and he's interested in God. And, and so he's gone to Jerusalem, probably for some festival, so that he can worship God. An individual who wasn't Jewish, didn't follow, follow Jewish customs, but, but also was someone who was connected to God, was known as a God-fearer. And so this would have been who he was, that, that he had this connection to God, but he was also trying to learn more about God. And so he's in this chariot, he's reading the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, and then this happens in verse 29. It says, The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. 
Now, honestly, there's no reason for Philip to go talk to this guy. Um, this guy, again, he's a VIP. He's extremely important. Basically, Philip's a nobody. But God's Spirit's like, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to go over towards that, that chariot. Now, we hear that word chariot, we hear that term, and we probably automatically go to something like uh, the movie Gladiator. And you know, those chariots were quick and, and fast. And so we're thinking kind of like the Lamborghini of chariots. I mean, this thing is moving along, and Philip's like, he's huffing and puffing, trying to hit 35 miles an hour, trying to keep up with this chariot, because that's, I think, the picture we've kind of been taught. The, the chariot that this guy's in is not that kind of chariot. It's actually an ox-drawn wagon. I don't know what you know about an ox. It's not the quickest creature in the land, right? Uh, it's more like a smart car. I mean, there's no power there. It's not going to go very fast. It's moving slowly, not making fun of you if you have a smart car. But, but this is what he's got to do. So he's, he's walking beside this, this chariot, and, and he hears this guy reading the scripture. Now, he can't figure it out. He, he's not Jewish, uh, probably pretty new to Judaism in, in some ways. And, and he sees Philip, and Philip asks him this question. Now, maybe Philip looked Jewish in his, his physical appearance. Maybe it was his clothing. Maybe it was his accent that, that he had. But, but this, this Ethiopian says, yeah, can, can you help me understand what I'm reading? And then he, he goes through the passage that he's reading, and we find that in verses 32 through 33. I'm not going to read through that, but this actually comes out of Isaiah chapter 53. And then we see this in verse 34. It says, The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Philip's a good Jewish guy. He's been Jewish his whole life. He grew up Jewish. He, he knows and is familiar with the, the Old Testament. He, he knows the prophecies. And so he starts to share with this Ethiopian. He starts to say, hey, let me, let me talk to you a little bit about what this, this passage means or who it's connected to. And he, he talks about Jesus and he, he tells about the prophecies and he tells about Jesus' teachings and he talks about these miracles and the death and, and even the resurrection. And more than likely, he even goes back and talks a little bit about what happened a few weeks earlier when, when Peter's in front of this huge group of people and he's preaching and 3,000 people are like, man, we are all in. We want to follow Jesus and, and they're baptized. Now, again, I try to remind us what we see in Scripture are cliff notes, okay? We're not getting the full story. This wasn't like a two-minute conversation they had, I'm guessing. This thing was probably an hour, maybe a few hours that, that they were together. And so Philip gets to just chat about Jesus and who Jesus is and how important Jesus is and how Jesus is transforming people's lives. And then we read this in verse 36. It says, As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Notice here the exclamation points. This isn't a period. These are exclamation points. He's excited. He sees this water, and he says, Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. He hears what Philip says. He listens to these words, and he's like, yeah, I, I want to be all in, too. And, and there's some water. Can, can you baptize me there? And, and Philip did that. Look at verse 39. It says, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself further north at the town of Azotus, he preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. 
We don't really know what happens to Philip here. We think something supernatural takes place, but he ends up being along the coast. And what does he do? He keeps doing what he feels like God has called him to do. He keeps telling more and more people about who Jesus is and about what Jesus has done. And we see the spread of, of the story of Jesus continue. We see that these people are being witnesses beyond just there in Jerusalem. We see that this force has hit the church and it's begun to, to move in all these different places. And it's not just Philip. We, we just have Philip's story. I mean, we, we would know that, that this is happening from, from more and more people. Think about this. Even the Ethiopian is going back to Egypt. He's, he's going back to, to where he works. He's going back to Africa, I mean. And, and you think about that. He's going there. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to tell people there about this, this Jesus guy. And I believe you probably would see that the Christianity was growing there too. Because see, the church is moving. The church is not supposed to be stagnant or, or stuck. And, and yet as we think about that this morning, I want us to think about the church today. Is the church stuck or is the church moving? Is it living out Jesus's words? And so I want to share with you, there's three groups of people that are part of, of churches. And uh, you probably fit, in fact, you do fit into one of these three categories. And so as we're talking through these, you can kind of figure out what those categories may be for you. But here's group one. Group one says the church is all about me. Now, marketers know that we are selfish people, right? And that's why they're so good at marketing, because they figure out what our weaknesses are. They know our emotions and our feelings, and they do research, and they figure this all out, and data, and psychological things, and all this kind of stuff. And they say, so we want people to buy our stuff, but sometimes people don't know they need to buy our stuff until we tell them they need to buy our stuff. And so they market to, to me. They, they know me, and so they're going to market to me. And think about some of the slogans we have. Uh, Toyota had a slogan, I love what you do for me, right? Twix candy bars, two for me, none for you. Why? Because we don't want to share. We're selfish people. We want it all for ourselves. But this idea has, has made its way into the church setting. Uh, I think it was the first week I talked about consumeristic Christianity, and this has become sort of the norm in the Christian church today. And the idea is that the church should be focused on me. But that's it. The, the church and the staff and what happens in the church, that, that, that all should be focused on me. And, and someone goes to a new church and they have this list of questions they want answered. And, and being in ministry for 20 plus years, growing up as a pastor's kid, I can tell you that very rarely are the questions that are asked about a church when someone comes theological in nature. Very rarely do people ask a theological question. It's usually, what will the church do for me? Because that's what we're interested in. I want to be the focus. I'm most important. It's not Jesus. It's not the people in the church. It's definitely not people outside the church. It's what can the church do for me? And so the pattern that I've seen over time is that someone will show up at a church and they're looking for a church. And, and don't get me wrong, if you're brand new to an area and you're trying to find a church, I get the church shopping thing. I mean, you, you got to do that. But, but, uh, but maybe you've been in a place in a long time. But you're this person that keeps moving from, from church to church. You're, you're never settled. There's always something wrong with every single church you go to. And 
I just want to remind you it's because the church is broken, as we talked about the first week, because there's people in it. That's why that happens. But, but you'll go to that church for a while. You'll connect. Uh, you might serve. You'll give a little bit of money. You'll build a couple of friendships. But when the church starts talking about other people, or starts talking about, hey, we're going to focus on Jesus, or we're going to, worse yet, we're going to start reaching people outside of our walls that are, that are far from, from God, you, you get upset. And you get upset because it's not focused on me. It's not focused on me and my marriage. It's not focused on, on me and my family, or me and my kids, and my wants, and my desires. It's all about me. And you'll move on to some other church at that point in time. When we look at the early church, when we really think what the church is about, it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's so much bigger than that. But there's a group of people who look at the church and think the church is about me. Now, there's a second group of people, and this group of people says the church is about us. Now, that doesn't sound bad, and you're like, well, that's what the church is supposed to be. It's, it's supposed to be about us, but, but it's not quite what the church is meant to be. It really isn't meant to be about us. Now, in this kind of church, maybe this is a church you grew up in, maybe it's a church you've attended in the past. I like to call this group the country club church. Uh, the idea is you pay your dues, right? You, you give some money to offering or to what the church is doing, and then you've become part of the club. And, and the role of the church then is to put in these rules and these, these policies to protect the club. But again, here's a church that we have that is stuck and is stagnant. And this church exists in this place of fear. There's a fear that, that the people that have been there a long time are going to lose control. A fear that you're going to lose long-term relationships, that, that the church might get too big, that, that, oh my gosh, these outsiders are going to come in and, and we don't know much about them and about their history and where they're from and you know, kind of the kind of people they are. And they're going to try to change things. They're going to make things different. And, and so there's that fear that's there. And so in the country club church, it's all about protection. We're trying to protect what's here. We're trying to protect this, this history, this past. We're trying to protect the relationships that are there in this church. We're trying to protect, uh, protect our, our group. And what we find, the most important parts to this church are the people that have been there, specifically for a long period of time. Uh, what's most important is the building. What's most important is the bank account. But really what's most important is that we are in control. And this group forgets about the mission. A buddy of mine uh, was out in Seattle for a few years, and he was helping some churches kind of find their way back to the, the mission of, of Jesus. And this one particular church he was working with, right in downtown Seattle, at one time, this was a, a thriving, big, uh, influential church that was doing amazing things in the community, in the world. Uh, they had built this beautiful, ornate building, sat 1,200 people, and it was full of people every single Sunday. But he was working with this church about 10 years ago, and uh, he said at that point, there were 20 people left in the church. Every Sunday morning, they'd grab their folding chairs, they would put them out in front of the stage, and they would have their worship service there. And I know some of us would say, but they're having church, this is great. Yes and no. What was wrong was they'd forgotten the mission that at some point in time, it became more about the building, it became more about the bank account, it became more about these few relationships and actually being what the church is called to be, and they got focused on themselves. I'm guessing, you know, again, this has been 10 years ago, that church probably no longer exists in any form or, or fashion. 
think I said this the first week, that's why there are 4,000 churches that close their doors every single year. It's more of a country club. You pay your dues, the church is going to focus on us, but that doesn't work. Then the church is stuck and the church is stagnant. And the church is called to something bigger than that. Which is our third group where the church is about others. If we go back to that word, you know, in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, we see the word church over and over again. As I've said, that word's actually ecclesia, And ecclesia is this group of people that are on mission together. It's not a building. It's not an organization. It's not a location. It's this group of people who are on mission together. And this isn't a mission that, that the early church said, hey, this is what we're going to do. This isn't a mission that the committee about 500 years together put together or, or that you know, the Journey Church put together two, two months ago. That's not where this came from. This mission that we are on together, that we are called on together, came from Jesus. It, it was spoken by Jesus to followers of Jesus. And, and those words said, if you go to Matthew 28, it says, go and make disciples of all nations. And if we look again at Acts 1.8, it says, and you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the world. Look, Jesus says, this is your mission. This is what you are called to do. And you're called to live this out. If we go back to Philip for a second and look at Philip, he doesn't go to this Ethiopian and say, hey, can I, can I see your green card? Can I see your license? Can I see your religious uh, credentials? He doesn't care he's, he's, he's not Jewish. He doesn't care that his skin color is not the same. He doesn't care that he's wealthy and probably wearing some really nice clothes. Here's what Philip sees. Philip sees an opportunity to invest in somebody's life, to, to reach someone who's trying to figure his life out. And it gives him this chance to, to talk about the hope that he can find in Jesus. Because what Philip understood was that Jesus was bigger than him. And Philip understood that Jesus was bigger than that Jerusalem church, that Jesus is bigger than, than the church in the world, that, that Jesus is for the world, that Jesus is the hope of the world. And that's why Philip was able to do what he did. When I think about Philip here and I think about some of these early followers who, when the church was hit with this force and, and began to scatter, it meant the church was not passive. And when the church is passive, it's focused on me or it's focused on, on the small group of, of us. What the church is, the church is an action. And you go back to that word ecclesia, it means this group of people that are on mission together. We are going into the world. We are witnesses in, in, in our world. That is action that we are called to take. But what does it look like when we take those actions? Well, what does that mean for the church if we understand that this is not about me and this is not about us, but this is for our world? What does that look like if we are doing this together? Well, let me share a couple of thoughts here on this. The first one is, when the church is on the move, my faith will grow. When the church is on the move, my faith will grow. As a pastor, um, sometimes the emails I get are, hey, just church isn't feeding me, I'm not, not growing in my faith, we're going to go somewhere else. Here's what I find for people who are, are, are saying that, where, where that's their reason for leaving a church. 
the idea being that if you grow my faith first, right, if you give me all this knowledge, if you give me all this information, and you just download all this into my, my brain, then I will be able to focus on, on others. What we find very often in the church setting is that when that's the case and the church is focused on that, and it's not every time, but a lot of times, you'll find a church that has become so insulated that it is almost like a country club. Like people don't know how to live out their faith. They've got all this knowledge and information, but they don't know how to take that beyond the, the steps of where they are. And, and that faith piece about, hey, I'm going to go tell more people about Jesus, it never happens. They're, they're stuck. They're, they're, they're stagnant where they are. But we're not called to be that kind of church. We're called to be a church that's on the move. And when we're on the move, we grow in our faith. If we go back and look at Philip and we go back and look at some of these other people in the book of Acts, hey, guess what? They didn't have a whole lot of knowledge. They didn't have all this information that they were continuing to take. You know, it wasn't like Peter was like, hey, tomorrow I'm doing a lecture on, you know, First Peter that I haven't even written yet and I'm going to write this book and I want to talk to you about it. He's not doing that. They're just like, Here's this little thing we know. We know this guy named Jesus and what happened and miracles and teachings and life and death and resurrection. Sounds pretty good. Let's just go share that, this hope with everybody. And that's exactly what they did. So how do we grow our faith? Here's how we grow our faith. And I'm not saying we don't spend time reading scripture and praying and journaling. Very, very important. Um, what I am saying is sometimes we need to focus on other people. Because when it's all about let me gain as much knowledge and information I can, that really has come back to me. We're, we're called to focus on others. And in this setting, we are called to, to hear what people are going through in their life. We're, we're called to hear about their faith crisis and their struggles and their, their tough times and the places they're looking for hope. But we're also called to listen to their celebration and their praises and the good things that are happening in, in their life. And we're called to invest in those people. Now, sometimes those people are right here in this building. And sometimes they're outside of our walls. They're in our community. They're in our neighborhood. They're the people we sit beside at work. And we get those opportunities to share that hope that we have. Again, that's, that's why the story of Jesus spread. Here's this group of people that are sharing this hope that they found. And so we're called to focus on others. And when we do that, our faith grows. But then the other part to this is that when we serve others, our faith grows too. It is so important that we serve other people. Now, again, that may be outside these walls with the, the things that we do within the community. That may be with our global partners that we work with. But a lot of that takes place here in, in this space. Because when we don't serve other people, it is all about me. And if you've been here, and I'll just be honest, if you've been here at The Journey for two years and you're not serving in some capacity, you're saying this church is all about me and our invitation to you is to get off the bench to get into the game and get out there and get your uniform dirty because that's what we're called to do we are called to serve other people and when we serve people do you know what happens to our faith our faith grows now, i want to do something specific right now if you're in this room there's a card there in front of you if you're at home, if you're online, I think you can connect, click the connection card at the top of the page there. But I'm going to invite you to do this. If you're in this room right now, I'm going to invite you to take this card, put your name, uh, your, your phone number, your email on it, and then flip it over. It says serving opportunities. One of the things that we knew this was going to happen as we come back from this pandemic, we're going to have a lot of people like, hey, we're not coming back because one, we left the church, we've moved. 
or uh, hey, we just, we just don't feel comfortable yet. Totally fine. We totally respect that. If you're at home and you're watching, that's you. We respect that. Uh, if you're someone who's saying, hey, I just don't want to serve. I, I'm just trying to catch my, my breath right now. I'm trying to get my feet underneath me. We'll give you about a week time frame there, okay? That's plenty of time. But if you're sitting in your seats and you're not doing anything and you're here, there are opportunities to serve. And here's what's going to happen when you serve. And I'm going to talk specifically about Journey Kids because parents, we love that we have it open. I'm going to be honest with you. There's some weeks coming up. We're going to have to shut down some classes and your kids are going to be with you up here. And I know that you want that break. Okay, I get it. But, um, but we need people to jump in and, and to serve. Here's why this is important. And we don't think about this a lot, especially in Journey Kids. When you serve a kid, do you know kids reach their, their faith, where, where their faith grows the most is under the age of 18? And most kids make their decision to follow Jesus by the time that they're 13 years old. And we as parents, we want to set up here and like, man, that's good. I'm glad somebody else is taking care of their spiritual journey. And it's our job to do that. And even if you're not a parent, you don't have kids down there. If you're single, whatever. Hey, it's your job to invest in these kids. Here's why. You are helping them on their faith journey. I can remember kids that I used to work with in my church growing up, and, and I see them sometimes when we go back, and they remember me. And I probably wasn't very nice as a teacher, but uh, don't be that kind of teacher, right? And, uh, but, you know, they were crazy kids. But anyway, I would loved on them, and, I, and seeing them, you know, they're in their 20s, and they're getting married, and they're having kids, and it's like, man, they still remember that. They still remember that investment. That, that's huge. And then I know others of you've heard the stories that have happened with teachers and kids and how the kids grab the teachers and tie them up and put duct tape on their face and throw them in some closet. Nobody finds them for five days. That doesn't happen here at the journey. That's at other churches. Okay. So we invite you to be a part of this to serve because your faith is going to grow as you serve these kids who faith is going to grow right alongside you. And here's what you're going to find. This is the crazy part. Sometimes you'll find kids have stronger faith than you do, <laughs> and you're going to learn from them. And so why not invest in them? Invest in Journey Kids. Invest in our guest services. We have incredible leaders, and we know that when you are a part of a team, your faith grows, and you build relationships and friendships, and we become what the church is supposed to be. So I invite you to take the time to do that today, to fill out that card. If you fill it out, you can leave it on your seat as you leave, or you can put it in the offering box as you leave this morning, or you can fill it all out through our app. But when the church is on the move, my faith will grow. Here's the second thing I will say. When the church is on the move, the church will grow. Uh, the Journey Church has been around for almost 50 years. It was started back in the 70s. Uh, we've got a few people that have been here for a few decades. I think we have a couple of people that were here when this church started. And I don't know the whole history of the journey, but I can tell you that there were some, uh, there were probably some times where the church was stagnant and, and, and stuck and uh, trying to figure out how do we keep moving. But, but, but as I, I talk to people that have been here, even in those tough times, this church never stopped trying to find a way to, to keep moving forward. And, and that if we were to look over the past 10 to 12 years, and I've been here almost six years now, um, we, we've really seen how those efforts of, of not being stuck and stagnant, how trying to fight our way through that, that, that God has blessed this church. Uh, before the pandemic hit, man, we were seeing our church increase 10, 15, 20% every single year. And 
We were adding services, and it was crazy, and it was great, and it's wonderful, and that's not the only reason we exist as a church, to have more numbers. But we do know when the church is focused on Christ, and the church is moving, and the church is doing all it can to tell more and more people the hope they can find in Christ, we know that the church will grow. And I mean that physically, but even more importantly, it happens spiritually. See, when the church is on the move, the church will grow. And then lastly, when the church is on the move, it will never stop reaching people that are far from Jesus. If you're looking for a church, it's about you. If you're looking for a church that's just about us, this is not the church for you. I'm just going to be honest with you. We want to be a church that's all about reaching people who are far from Jesus Christ. And so when we say, you know, the Journey Church, we're not talking about a building. We're not talking about an organization. We're, we're not talking about a location. We're talking about we want to be this ecclesia that we've been called to be. We want to be this, this place that's on mission together to see more and more people take their next steps towards Jesus. And look, I, I love being the pastor of this church. I feel very lucky to be the pastor of this church. I, I love the space that we have. I, I love the organization. I, I love our staff. I love most of you when you don't send me those terrible emails that sometimes you send. You know who you are. But anyway, it doesn't really happen. I'm just saying that. But um, you usually send them to other staff members. But, um, but, but I love being a part of, of this place. But here's what you got to know. This church is not about me, and it never will be. And it's not about you, and it never will be. It will always be about us reaching more and more people who are far from Christ. Because in your life, you've got that one person, right? You've got that person in your life who's not a follower of Jesus. And we want to be a church that comes alongside you and helps you reach that person to, to find ways you can connect with them and have those conversations and let your faith play out as you walk them down those, those steps that they need to take to follow Christ. Because you know who it is. It may be somebody in your family. It may be somebody you work with. It may be a neighbor. But, but that's what we're called to do. We're, we're called to reach that person, that one person. But then as a church, as staff and leadership, we're trying to figure out how do we, how do we plant tons of churches in Northern Virginia? Because we know this area is full of people who are far from Jesus. And so what does it look like for us to come together as a church and with other churches, and church planned organizations? And long term, man, we're going to plant churches here. And so if you don't like that, probably not the church for you to be a part of either. Because we feel like we've been called to something very specific. Not something we made up, not something that some group came to, up with, but because Jesus has called us to be this church. And that church will always be on the move. I want you to think about these three questions this morning. Is the church about me? Because if the church is about you, there's things in your life you've got to fix. Now, we're here to help each other, and you may be going through a tough time, and we're here to help you through that. But if it continues to just be about you the whole time that you're here, you're missing something in your life. Maybe for you, you've got to ask the question, is the church about us? Are you looking for a church that's, that's small and together and, and that everybody's kind of uh, watching out for, for each other and outsiders really aren't allowed in? You know, you kind of pay your dues and you get what you want and that kind of, This isn't the church for you either. We're not going to be that church. We've got a huge community here that we want to reach for Christ. And so there's that last question. Are you about the mission? Are you about the mission that Jesus has sent us on to go and be his witnesses in the world we live in? And if you are, this is the church for you. And we will be mission on mission together as long as it takes. Our lives are short. But we have this incredible hope in Jesus. 
And I pray that we can share that as a church together in our world. Even if we take a few people, and we reach a few people, we've done what God has called us to do. And I pray we continue to be that kind of church as we continue to move. Let's pray. God, we're grateful and thankful that that Jesus was sent in our brokenness to help us in our lives, to give us the hope that we need, to give us direction. And God, we can't hold on to this hope. It's not something we're just supposed to keep for ourselves. It's something we are called to share with the world, and I pray that we can do that. So right now, God, I pray that you would continue to allow us to be a church that's on the move, that it won't be about me, that it won't be about us, but it'll be about the world that we live in, that you've called us into and that we can follow Jesus and those commands to go and be his disciples, to, to go and be his witnesses in the world. Let us be that church, and let us never forget that. In Jesus' name, amen.